In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapters 20 and 21. In Joshua 20, we witness the establishment of six cities of refuge, strategically located throughout the land, providing sanctuary for those who accidentally took another's life, ensuring fair judgment and protection against avengers of blood. Chapter 21 then unveils the meticulous allocation of land to the twelve tribes of Israel, a process executed with unwavering precision to fulfill God's promise. These chapters delve into the intricate tapestry of justice and inheritance and divine providence, shedding light on the profound significance of God's covenant with his chosen people in the heart of the promised land. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, October 12th, and pardon me, it's Thursday, October 12th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. And as always, Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. In fact, this Sunday, I have a speaker from Lutheran Heritage Foundation coming to our congregation to talk about the stewardship of God's Word. You can have them come and speak at your congregation, too. Learn more about that at lhfmissions.org. My guest for this morning is returning to the show. It's the Reverend Keith Lynch, pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Naples, Florida. Uh, Good morning, Pastor Lynch, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Morning, Pastor Boo. It's great to be with you. Uh, Looking forward to spending a little time with you on uh, Joshua 20 and 21. Yeah, it sounds great. Now, before we get into the text, though, it's been a little while since you've been on the program. I I think maybe you joined us for Judges or something like that, but how are things down in Florida? How's God using you and the saints lately? Well, we um, have been avoiding uh, the hurricanes in the Naples area. Last year, we, uh, uh, Ian hit us, and that was pretty, uh, pretty bad. So we just remembered the anniversary date, uh, which was uh, in September of Ian. And um, a lot of people are still reeling from that, still recovering from that. My house is back together, but I still have a little bit of work to do. I got to do backsplash in my kitchen. But other than that, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty well done. Our, our VCE is, uh, they got the floors back into their house and they're getting ready to move back into their house, which is very exciting. But wow. Um, But things are good at the church. Um, We're excited to start a new season. Uh, We have a lot of visitors that come down to Grace uh, from all over the world, and it's great to have those people in our midst and with us on Sundays and throughout the week. A lot of snowbirds come down our way, and and, uh, a big exciting news in my life uh, this uh, October is that my son and our our daughter-in-law, Andrew and Nicole, are going to be having uh, a, a child, Lord willing, this October. So sometime this month, we're, uh, we all have our different dates put in to guess when it's going to happen. But Penelope Morgan uh, is uh, hopefully going to be born uh, healthy uh, this uh, October. So we're excited to be grandparents. Uh, and my, uh, my, my other two uh, children are excited to be uh, an uncle and an aunt. Uh, and so my son is very excited about being a father. Um, and uh, he called me last night and wanted to know uh, where he could get some different books to read uh, and sing. I, I used to sing to them all the time. Um, my son's favorite hymn is I Am Jesus, Little Lamb. Uh, 
Oh. And that's because I sang that to him uh, repeatedly, often uh, at bedtime after reading him some stories. So uh, he's excited to do that for his daughter. So we're excited about that. That's what's going on at, at Grace. Wow. Well, that's uh, a, well, that's excellent, though. What what great things. I mean, congratulations to your uh, son and and, uh, and daughter-in-law. And of course, congratulations to you. So this will be your first time being a grandparent then. This is true. This is true. Oh, I, I keep wonderful. saying um, that um, I can't believe my wife is going to be a grandmother. So. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like something <laughs> I would say. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure she loves that. <laughs> yeah, she does. Uh, and she's excited. She's very, I'm excited. Oh, but I bet. She's off the chart. So she's, that is she's so, very That's excited. awesome, though. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. My kids are a little young yet, but I, my son's getting his driver's license. And I just, what I told my wife, I said, I just can't believe that you're the mother of a kid that's getting his driver's license. <laughs> yeah, she, she doesn't appreciate that as much as I do. But um, it yeah, happens we all, fast. We it do. You fast. wake up and. Off quick. Yeah, one day your kids are older and you're getting older, but uh, what a blessing. It sounds like things are going well. I do pray that you guys stay safe from any uh, future hurricanes. But for now, let's get into the word. But would you please lead us in a word of prayer before we dive in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer, giving you thanks for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us in our lives. Uh, most especially, are we thankful for your word uh, your word brings us good news, uh, brings us law and gospel. <clears throat> your word uh, brings life. Uh, today, as we study Joshua, we pray, Lord, that you would um, allow us to understand exactly what is going on in these two chapters uh, and to apply that to our lives <clears throat> by understanding Jesus. Uh, we give you thanks and we pray all this knowing that you will hear us and answer us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, before we read anything from chapter 20, where we're introduced to this idea of cities of refuge, or I don't know, a, a modern term that's popped back up is the term sanctuary cities. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that too, but maybe let the folks know where we've been, where in the context of Joshua is chapter 20 showing up? So um, this is sort of the last bit of the, uh, the words of Moses, the promises that, that God gave through Moses. He promised that the people would enter into the promised land and that they would um, you know, be, um, be, be victorious and they would inherit this land. They would move in and, um, and, and then it was then divided up. And so uh, chapter 13 through chapter 21 are really the division of the land uh, in, uh, to the uh, tribes of Israel. Now, <clears throat> we have um, here in chapter 20 and chapter 21, uh, the, the, the divisions of cities given to uh, the, the, Levit the Levites, the tribe of Levi. And, um, and, and these cities, they don't actually inherit a, a land like all the other tribes do. Uh, these, um, the Levites inherit uh, cities and they're sort of placed in those cities as sort of sojourners. Um, and they're not, they're not given the land. They're just occupants of the land that God says, we, I want you to be here, 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 here for the purpose of sort of caring for God's people, caring for uh, the children of Israel. And, uh, and that's really what the Levitical tribe does. They, they are, there's some of them that are priests, and we'll talk a little bit about that, and some of them that care for the temple or, or the tabernacle as it is moving along, and now it's going to be a sort of a stationary uh, tabernacle. It's going to become the 
the temple eventually. And, um, and so the, these Levites, this tribe of, of Levi, um, is, is placed in these strategic locations so that they can care for uh, a, a different, uh, for the people of Israel. Sorry about that. My phone is ringing. Yeah, no worries. Well, you know what it kind of reminds me of, and I don't think this is too much of a stretch, but uh, I, I have had a call where I was able to buy a house. My current call where I serve the wonderful people of St. John here in Laverne, um, I live in a parsonage. Uh, and, and, you know, there are obviously good and bad things about that kind of stuff, but sometimes I think the pastors out there living in parsonages know a little bit about what the Levites felt, right? No real inheritance, but you, you get to live there, and you get to take care of God's people there, and they take care of your needs, but, you know, you don't really, you don't get a, an equity in it. And, and I always think about that when I think about these uh, these Levite uh, lands. Perfect illustration, right? I mean, that's a perfect illustration, and and the the idea behind all of that is that, that that our home is in heaven. We are sojourners here. Right. And, I, I, you know, that I think is very true for the Levites. They are um, visitors in a foreign land, and, and they are there to care for God's people in those places. And I think that that's a great illustration, I think, of a, of a parsonage. I've and lived in it, a few of those, too. So. <laughs> and then, of course, it extends to all God's people because— um, we are all sojourners here waiting Absolutely. for our eternal home in the new heavens and the new earth. But, well, why don't we get into the text? And our text for today, again, is chapter 20. I'm going to start with verse 1 from the English Standard Version. Then Yahweh said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. Okay, we're going to stop there at the end of verse 6. So the cities of refuge, sanctuary cities. Um, you know, we learn about this back in Numbers 35 and other places. Uh, take us through this a little bit. Uh, what... Why was, I guess, why did Yahweh feel like this was necessary? And then do we have anything, you know, similar to that today? So this is, I mean, this is kind of an interesting thing, right? I mean, this is about accidental death. And um, one of the, um, one of those is explained in the book of Numbers. You have, uh, you have uh, a couple of guys going out to chop wood. And uh, while they're out chopping wood, uh, one of the axe handles of one of the men flies off the uh, axe, strikes the other man, and uh, and kills him. This is a, this didn't happen, but this is an illustration of what might be an accidental death. You you uh, you go somewhere with someone, or you're doing something with somebody else, and you're moving something around, and something happens where you you tip something over, it falls on another person and kills them accidentally. You don't have any malice or hatred in your heart towards this person. You, you don't want them to die. 
but accidentally they have been killed. And so then this individual runs to one of these sanctuary cities that are sort of strategically located around uh, Israel so that there's one close and uh, you go to the city, you, you come to the gate, you, uh, the elders meet you at the gate and you say to them, hey, this is what happened. Uh, it was an accident. I didn't mean to do it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm seeking sanctuary. And so then they go, they, they hear the case, they invite you in. Now there's going to be a trial. There's going to be a trial to see whether what you said is true or not. Um, but you are then permitted to live there because what um, it, it, the families of Israel, death, murder is not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Never has been, never will be, right? Murder is always an abomination before the Lord. And, and, and so even this accidental thing, there, there's, there's forgiveness, there's, there's repentance, there's, there's those kinds of things that, that flow um, uh, for uh, the one, the, the manslayer, the murderer. Um, but if it's accidental, at least he has this place to go where he can be, be safe, uh, where uh, he can live out his life until the high priest dies, which is kind of an interesting thing too. So um, now there is someone who is pursuing him, uh, and uh, that is the avenger of blood, the redeemer of blood. Um, that is the one who is uh, a relative of uh, the one who has been killed. And um, they are not a vigilante. They're not taking justice into their own hands. They, they are, they, they've been set aside for this very purpose. Uh, and they are doing what is God-pleasing. So um, we, uh, we, we know um, from um, God's law that, that those who murder... They, they take the life of someone by, by man, so their lives should be taken. So as, as, as Christians, we believe in capital punishment. Um, and, um, and, and that was true in the Old Testament. I think it's still true today. Uh, there, there are those that, that have, have taken a person's life intentionally, and, um, and, and that may mean that by the state's hand, they should be put to death. Now, this... These man, these uh, these avenger, avengers of blood were were um, instituted by God to go and um, act out justice uh, to uh, put this person who has killed their relative to death, uh, and uh, and that was what was God pleasing. So, um, if it was by accident, though, they could run to these sanctuary cities, these cities of refuge. And um, and be safe, um, and be um, be kept safe from the avenger of blood, um, and uh, and then, as I said, when the high priest of of the day died, um, it was almost like it was the sacrifice of the high priest's death that brought atonement for the manslayer, so he could then go back and live out his life. Uh, in, uh, in, in where 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 he uh, was living before, where the accident happened. Um, so God, through Moses, set up sort of this wonderful, um, this wonderful picture of what Jesus was going to do, uh, of what His life and death as our High Priest means for us: a rescue from sin, death, and the power of the devil, uh, rescue from our um, 
our, our, our sin. Uh, and, and that's sort of the picture. Now, where is, where, where you ask, where is our sanctuary cities today? Well, I would say that's the church, right? Mm. That's, uh, that's the church. They are places of refuge for those who have, um, committed sin, uh, whether it's, uh, now, now, now murder, right? I mean, what, what a, what a heinous crime. What a heinous crime. If the person did it intentionally, if they murdered somebody intentionally, uh, if they, uh, if they uh, did this willfully and, and they planned it out and they had hate towards the individual that they murdered, well, then um, when the trial was done in the, in the sanctuary city, if they were found guilty of, uh, of, of actual murder, not accidental murder, then they were handed over to the avenger of blood and they were put to death. So um, this this uh, there we, we don't really see too many times in the Old Testament where these things were played out. We don't have a sort of a picture of this where oh okay this is how it went down and this is how you know um, I, it would be great if if there was an example of that. Yeah, but there were. But it's pretty clear from the text that this is what um, Moses uh, through the word of the Lord had in mind when these sanctuary cities were set up. Yeah, a few case studies would be nice to help us fully understand how it all worked because, you know, it begs a few questions. Like, if the person goes to the city gate, and I think it's important for folks to know that this would essentially been like the community center of the city. They would have They would have a tower usually. There would be areas where people would meet, marketplaces, that kind of stuff. So they head up there. They, they seek... Uh, sanctuary. They seek refuge. Uh, we might even say in modern parlance, they seek asylum, right? Because they are fleeing what they believe uh, is a is a faith that they don't deserve. And so they go there and the elders hear them. There's a trial, as you said, but then it, it does. It makes you wonder like, well, why then once it's been decided, if the, uh, if the kinsman redeemer or the avenger of blood, if they are you know respecting God's law, then why wouldn't they just say, okay, well, they've been tried in the sanctuary city. They can go home. I'll leave them alone. And again, I don't know that we have all the answers to that, with the exception of that beautiful image, that type of Christ redemption at the end, like you're talking about. And this also brings up to my mind the idea of uh, seeking sanctuary. You know, uh, in some historical context, but we also hear a lot of it in fiction, you know, people will if, if they are seeking protection from the legal authorities or they're seeking justice, they'll, they'll head into a church, you know, and they'll, they'll declare sanctuary. And that was a practice that existed, although it, it waned toward the late Middle Ages. And today, our legal systems um, really don't respect that. You, you know, you can't just go to a church and say the law of the land doesn't apply here, although the image of the church as sort of an embassy of God's kingdom is a, is a beautiful image. Uh, but we also do have our laws, especially in this country, influenced heavily by, by God's will. And so there is a distinction made even today between someone who murders someone with hatred or malice and someone who accidentally takes the life of the other. There certainly is uh, consequences, but they're, they're generally significantly different. Yeah, it is. It is um, I mean, it's pretty clear from um, the Old Testament books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and... Uh, numbers that God hates. I mean, he, it, it is detestable to be in the land of, of filled with murder. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the reason why the flood happens, right? I mean, people were given over to all kinds of um, perverse sins. And so because of that, uh, God washed away that, that, the, the world and, and recreated it with, with Noah and his, and his family. But that picture is God cannot stand in the place of, of, of innocent blood spilt. Innocent may be a bad word, but blood spilt, right? Cain and Abel, the blood of Abel cries out to the Lord. Um, we see those pictures throughout the, the Old Testament where the blood of those who had been murdered cries out to the Lord. And, and the Lord is, that's why he set this up because, because those who have committed these heinous crimes have to be punished, right? And that may even mean that they have to be put to death. Um, you know, now, can they be forgiven? Well, uh, yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to, that, that somehow they're going to escape the punishment that they have brought upon themselves in this life. Um, are, are, are they, can they be forgiven? Yes. Uh, will they enter eternal life by faith in Christ? Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't, that they are going then to escape the punishment that is, that is due in this life. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think that's our stance when we talk about capital punishment as a church. Um, and, and, and then this, these sections really are not just about the law. They're also about the sweetness of the gospel that God rescues those who have um, done something uh, and, and, that is heinous, um, that God despises. He, he still rescues them. He still gives them the, the place to go uh, that is in, in the image of, of Christ. Right? I mean, this is all pointing to what Jesus would do on the cross, that he would be our high priest, that he would give his life, that he would shed his blood, blood for blood. Um, and, uh, and that, and that, we, we would then would have rescue, um, redemption. Uh, the, the, the word for the avenging, um, the avenger of blood can also be the redeemer of blood. Um, and it often is in other parts of the scriptures. Um, so, so that's the picture here that, that our Lord gives us sanctuary. Um, and that is found in the church where, where we have um, and it is, and it is a great image. Um, just sort of getting off track, just a little bit. You know, what would your approach be if someone showed up at your church, you'd never seen them before, and they were seeking sanctuary? Let's say yeah. that they had accidentally done something; they were fearful for justice. Uh, you know, how would you walk that person through it? Just trying to think of this kind of stuff as we might experience it today. So uh, let, let me, uh, I'll answer that question, but let me answer a different question that is very similar to that. We okay. live in Florida, and obviously we have a lot of people coming to this country illegally. And, um, and, and so the question has been, what should the church be doing for those who are illegal in our country? Um, and, and while they have committed a crime, and while they, uh, um, you know, they will they may or may not, they, they may be punished for committing a crime. The church's responsi responsibility, I think, is to love and care for God's people wherever we find them. 
And so when you have someone coming to the church for sanctuary who may be illegal in our country, I think the church's responsibility is to love and care for them. Um, now, that, that doesn't mean hide them out. <laughs> it doesn't mean, uh, you know, um, uh, but it doesn't mean turn them in either. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we as the church are here to care for God's people by bringing them the law and the gospel. So now to answer your question, I have somebody who has committed a crime, maybe murder accidentally, they come and they want, well, you know, we talk about confession and absolution. Certainly if they've confessed their sin, they will receive absolution for that because the key part in there is, is the reception of the forgiveness of sins. Um, yet after they have confessed their sins, they still have committed a crime that needs to have justice sort of meted out um, in their life. And so they have repented and they are forgiven. Now the, the, the action of, of, of a repentant sinner is to amend their sinful life, which means they're probably going to have to go to the police. Well, not probably. They're going to have to go to the police and say, hey, well, this is what I did. So they're right, they're right with God, right? They're right with God. They've confessed their, their sin before God and they've received absolution. Now they need to be right with, with man. They need to be right in the world. And, um, and so that means that they are going to have to go and confess that sin, that crime to the police and suffer whatever consequences come. Now that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but as you said, the truly repentant person wants to then make amends, right? You know, it reminds me of uh, the the show Old Brother Where Art Thou. You know, they get baptized and after they've broken out of jail and he thinks he's home free. And the uh, George Clooney character says, well, you know, that may be good for God, but the I think the state of Illinois or whatever is a little more hard nosed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that's and that is kind of how it is. And I think your illustration of the, um, you know, odd, undocumented or uh, immigrant who is here illegally is really key because some people I think they, they mix up the idea. They think that um, as a Christian, it has to be one or the other. You can be if this is your political position, for instance be very for, say, strong borders, uh, um, uh, you know, immigration reform. You can be for all of that. Um, and at the same time, understand your duty to care for the sojourner in your midst. This, Yeah, this, I think this idea of the separation of church and state, which really, it's not in the Constitution. It's really not, it, that's a whole other Bible class. But I think sure. the point there is the church acts the way she acts, for God's people and the state acts the way God intends the state to act for the good of all. Um, and, and those two are not mutually exclusive. Right. They are to work together, church and state. And the church should have an impact on the state. Um, and, and so uh, I, I, I'm all for um, loving and caring for the people who we find in our midst because that's what we're supposed to do. And, and then there's the other side of what the state needs to do, right? The state needs to um, carry, they carry the sword for that purpose. And, um, but, but the church isn't the state and the state isn't in the business of doing what the church does. So while they're separate, they, they work together. Exactly. Uh, they're complementary or they should be. Uh, and often, 
we we don't see that in the world in which we live today. No great wall of separation, more like a, a little short fence. <laughs> we can still reach yeah, across and yeah. work together. Well, that, that whole, I mean, you, as you know, that whole idea of separation of church and state really is about keeping the state out of the church, exactly. not keeping the church out of the state. Precisely. Well, folks, we're going to have to take a break, so we'll think about all these things as we listen to these messages. But when we come back, Pastor Lynch and I will keep on going. We'll head into, well, we'll finish up 20 and then head into 21. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Keith Lynch, pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Naples, Florida. Saints at home, thank you so much for taking the time to be in God's Word with us this morning, or whenever you're listening. Remember, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can send me a message at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Drop a note and say hi. Or you can ask your question, or if you want to send a message to my guest, you can do that through me. Um, I will also ask, though, that when you write in, let me know how you're listening and where you're listening from. Maybe you're listening over the air in St. Louis. You're listening as a podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. You know, a great way is to go online to kfuo.org. But I think the best way is if it's available, uh, use that KFUO radio app on your phone. Now, I know not everybody has a phone, but if you do, head to your app store or your Play Store and search for KFUO radio. You can download that app and you can listen to all the shows as podcasts or listen to the live programming. It's just a great way. You can even reach out to the station through the app. There's so many different ways that you can stay connected. But since you are connected, you're not here to listen to me drone on. You want to get back into the Bible, and so do I. So, before the break, we were talking about sanctuary cities and what that kind of might look like today. I'm going to go ahead and read the sanctuary cities that were set apart, and that'll finish up this chapter. So starting with verse 7. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the ta uh, tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, until he stood before the congregation. So there we go. We list sort of the, the six cities of refuge. There's three to the west of the Jordan. There's three to the east. It's nice and 
distributed for people. Uh, one of the verses there uh, actually kind of lighted, lit up in my mind. It says, so that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there till he had stood before the congregation. One thing that we didn't mention, and it's still speculation, but there would certainly be cases where someone shows up and they're looking for refuge and they're rejected because they found through their trials, through the witnesses, that no, this was done with malice or intention. Um, do we have anything about that in the Bible at all? I don't really recall, but I didn't know if you ran across that, where, you know, what happens if they are not innocent? Well, Deuteronomy talks a little bit about that, um, and Numbers talks a little bit about that, that if you, you know, if you, if you kill someone intentionally, then you are, um, your, your life is forfeit, that uh, the avenger of blood uh, can uh, exact uh, justice upon you and take your life. So that is, um, that is in um, Numbers chapter 35, you have that whole picture of, of you know, um, putting the one who is a murderer to death if they, you know, if they are found guilty. And so, um, yeah, certainly that's the picture. If they, they come and they have their trial in this sanctuary city and then um, they are found guilty of uh, intentionally murdering this person, not accidentally, then they are handed over to the Avenger um, and, and put to death. So, so um, I think it's worth noting then that just showing up, just declaring sanctuary or just seeking refuge doesn't mean you just automatically get it. It, it is about justice. It's about making sure that you are treated fairly. Uh, you know, yeah. my first career options before I went into uh, ministry was the law, law enforcement, that kind of thing. My first degrees in applied criminology. So, you know, I, I ha have a little bit of an aptitude and interest in these things. And I always think it's fascinating how even today, defense attorneys often will see their function as trying to get their, their client off the hook, as opposed to its original intention is just to make sure they're treated Fairly, so even if you're guilty, you want to be treated fairly according to you know a, a good measure of justice. Um, so I, I think when we look back, especially those with very kind hearts, we have to remember that even the sanctuary cities of of old wasn't about hiding people from justice; it was about making sure that justice is reasonably applied. What, yeah, I mean, and I think that's something that's sure. lost in today's yeah. conversation. Go ahead. Yeah, and that just you know justice should be served, right? I mean, it should if the person actually committed a crime, uh, then then they need to suffer the consequences of that. Um, you you talked about how they are uh, these six um, uh, cities are, you know, three to the east, three to the west of the Jordan, and then um, they're sort of in a you know horseshoe kind of shape, and and they're in locations where they're easily. Uh, accessible for people throughout the whole trot, the, the whole uh, area of Israel. So in the promised land, the, these six cities are, are, you know, you're not far from one wherever you live. You can reach one uh, relatively quickly. And uh, I, I did think it was interesting that the first uh, city in verse seven there, so they set apart Kadesh, that that, that word actually means um sanctuary <laughs> so right. the, the first sanctuary city actually the the word means sanctuary so uh that you know that that 
I thought that was. I thought now, that do was you think that's one of those things where they found the city named Sanctuary and made it a Sanctuary City, or by the time people were reading Joshua, they would have already known it as the Sanctuary City, and it probably picked up that name later. I, I suspect that second part. Yeah, I suspect that too. <laughs> but but it is, you know, I just thought it was fascinating. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, and it's and it's always neat because then really it's this reminder to the people who are reading it contemporaneous to its writing. They're saying, you know, that city called Sanctuary, that's because it's a sanctuary city. And it was yeah, the first exactly. one. So, <laughs> so people are like, oh, yeah, OK, I always wondered what, you know, maybe they didn't. <laughs> Why say did that. they call that place? that? Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, right. And that happens all the time in the Old Testament because they named the places. They set up monuments. They're very. Uh, I guess they're very cathartic, very incarnate in what they want to do to pass on the faith. And God instructs them to do these things. So, you know, naming their children, naming their cities, uh, they do all of that intentionally with passing down the faith. Um, that's something I think we've lost quite a bit of. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the, the uh, you know, Pentecost happening on the Feast of Pentecost. Yeah, right? what a coincidence. <laughs> what a coincidence that was. <laughs> <laughs> right, or or to be a little somber about it, um, it's like Luke Eric's disease, right? Like, how did that guy not see it coming? It's called, that's named after him. Um, but anyway, on that negative note, why don't we keep on moving? Um, we're going to head into 21. Now, folks at home, you know the drill. This is another one of those passages that just has a ton of Hebrew names. I'm going to do my best, and we'll read a bunch of chunks at a time, try to do our best to take it apart, but really the emphasis is going to come towards the end of the chapter, and so... That's where most of it will, will uh, the discussion will come from. But let's go ahead and start in on verse 1 of chapter 21. And once again, it's from the English Standard Version. Then the heads of the fathers' uh, houses of the Levites came to Eleazar, the priest, and to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, Yahweh commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So, by the command of Yahweh, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. Now, actually, I do want to pause just here at the end of verse 3 before I read any of the names. Uh, let's talk a little bit, though, just about the idea, and, and we mentioned it earlier, but here the Levites are coming, and they're recalling God's command to Moses, and so basically they're saying, okay, we need, we need our allotment now. You know, We need a place to raise our cattle. We need a place to raise our families, and, and Moses promised this, and there's really no debate. that they just, They're given them, and we're getting ready to list them off, but uh, anything else you want the folks to know about that, that concept? Well, just a couple things there. So the, 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 the 12 tribes... Uh, we have sort of uh, a division at the, the last two tribes, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. They are a they, they formed from from the line of Joseph. So that's sort of an interesting uh, sort of connection, right? It's not just all the twelve sons of of Israel, but we have this sort of division at the end where we have Ephraim and Manasseh coming in there. And then you also have the location as Shiloh. Uh, that was the place where we saw that in, uh, I believe it was chapter 18 in Joshua. That was sort of a central location where God was present for them. Uh, it became sort of the spiritual and administrative center for Israel. 
Um, and uh, I mean, it's going to become Jerusalem eventually, but, but Shiloh is that location where um, good things are happening and God is at work. Um, so uh, God gathers all the people together uh, as they did in Moses' day, right? So you have the leaders of the tribes, you have Eliezer, the, the sort of the high priest of the day, and you have Joshua, who is the, the, the you know, he's Moses in, in the flesh, right? I mean, he, he's the one who followed Moses. Uh, and now you have those guys gathering together to give Levi their, their portion um, of, of, of the victory. And that's what you got going on right here. All right. Well, there are going to be 48 cities mentioned, um, but we're going to just get into uh, the first few verses here. Five through eight is going to focus on uh, Kohath, Gershon, and Merari. Merari. These are the clans uh, descended from Levi's three sons. So we are going to look at that now. Here we go, starting with verse five. The rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh, ten cities. The Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, and from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan, thirteen cities. And the Merarites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, twelve cities. These cities and their pasture lands, the people of Israel gave by lots to the Levites as Yahweh had commanded through Moses. All right, so pausing there. We're going to get into uh, Simeon and some others in a, just a real quick minute. But we see here the three sons mentioned, or more accurately, the descendants of those three sons. And I love this received by lot. You know, we don't do casting lots necessarily as much today, certainly not for any serious decision. Um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, casting lots, I guess in one way, alleviates preferential treatment uh, just because of the random nature of it. But then at the same time, we get this indication from the Old Testament that God is working through these lots to exercise his will. Uh, do you see any of that here being important? So I would I would imagine that this the casting of the lots was the job of the high priest. So you, you have the Urim and the Thummim, you have, you have whatever they were, they were some form of decision-making tool. And so you have this casting of lots for, I've heard of pastors doing things like this on calls, uh, you know, writing two letters, one accepting, one declining, handing them to the president of the congregation and said, mail one and read one. Uh, you know, those kinds I've, of things. Are, I've never know. heard of that. No, that's interesting. But, uh. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I would be able to do that. But I mean, that's you know, if, you, if you've come to a, an impasse and you're not sure which way you want to go. Sure. That's and, and I think you're right. It is a fair allotment. Now, there are some interesting things that happen here. So you, you, you mentioned the three, uh, uh, the three sons of Levi, the three descendants of Levi. So uh, from, uh, uh, and I'm going to try and pronounce it correctly, the, the Kohathites, they, that is the, the, the tribe that, uh, that's the, the son that has Aaron and Moses. Well, not him specifically, but from his line, Aaron and Moses come. And so Aaron is the, the, the first high priest. And 
and then from Aaron, all the Levitical priests come. So in order to be a priest, you have to be from the line of Aaron, um, not just a Levite. Now, all of the Levites, all, all of them, all of the descendants of Levi had an impact on the temple or, or the tabernacle. They all had a hand in moving the tabernacle. They all had a hand in making sure that that took place. But you could only be a priest if you were from the tribe or, or from the line of Aaron. And, and so that is what Aaron gets some special preferential treatment, I think, here in some ways, in that the lot always felt to the, to the Levite descendants through Aaron, the priests, that they were sort of around the uh, Jerusalem, around, uh, they were located close so that they didn't have to journey far in order to do their duty. Because all of these Lev Levitical tribes, uh, all of these Levitical um, descendants, they, they, they were either serving at the temple in some capacity, or they were herdsmen. They were caring for their flock. So while they, they, they had this, they were given pasture land, they, they could care for their flock. And then afterwards, then they, if, if it was time, you got this month, you got to go up to the temple and serve in the temple. They would go up and serve in the temple. They would come back and take care of their, their herds. Uh, in, in, you know, that's sort of the rhythm of their life. And, um, but I do like the idea of that being cast, those, those lots being cast. And I, I would guess that it was, it, that it was the high priest that did it, um, that he, he was the one uh, that uh, cast the lots, that Eliezer was the one that cast the lots in favor of um, these 48 cities and how they would, would then be laid out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I tell you what, why don't we read into some of those cities? Now, folks, buckle up. I'm going to go from verse 9 to, oh, somewhere in the 40s, maybe 40s. You're doing a great job reading these names. <laughs> well, we haven't got to the big ones yet, but here we go. <laughs> verse 9. Out of the tribe of the people of Judah and the tribe of the people of Simeon, they gave the following cities mentioned by name, which went to the descendants of Aaron, one of the clans of the Kohathites who belonged to the people of Levi, since the lot fell to them first. They gave them Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is, Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, along with the pasture lands around it. But the fields of the city and its villages had been given to Caleb, the son of Jephnuah, as his possession. And to the descendants of Aaron the priests they gave Hebron the city of refuge for the manslayer with its pasture lands, Libnah with its pasture lands, Jatir with its pasture lands, Eshtemoah with its pasture lands, Holon with its pasture lands, Debir with its pasture lands, Ain with its pasture lands, Jutah with its pasture lands, Beth Shemesh with its pasture lands, nine cities out of these two tribes. Then out of the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its pasture lands, Geba with its pasture lands, Anathoth with its pasture lands, and Almon with its pasture lands, four cities. The cities of the descendants of Aaron the priest were in all thirteen cities with their pasture lands. As to the rest of the Kohathites belonging to the Kohathite clans of the Levites, the cities allotted to them were out of the tribe of Ephraim. To them were given Shechem, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands in the hill country of Ephraim. Gezer, with its pasture lands, Kibzaim, with its pasture lands, Beth Horon, with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Dan, 
Elteke with its pasture lands, Gibbethon with its pasture lands, Aijalon with its pasture lands, Gothrimon with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the half tribe of Manasseh, Ta'anak with its pasture lands, and Gathrimon with its pasture lands, two cities. The cities of the clans of the rest of the Koalites were ten in all with their pasture lands. And to the Gershonites, one of the clans of the Levites, were given out the half tribe of the Manasseh, Golan and Bashan, with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, and Bishtera uh, with its pasture lands, two cities. And out of the tribe of Issachar, Kishion with its pasture lands, Dabaroth with its pasture lands, Jarmuth with its pasture lands, Inganim with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Asher, Mishal with its pasture lands, Abdon with its pasture lands, Helkath with its pasture lands, and Rehob with its pasture, hand, pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Hamanth Dor with its pasture lands, Kartan with its pasture lands, three cities. And the cities of several clans of the Gershonites were all in thir- were in all thirteen cities with their pasture lands. And to the rest of the Levites, the Merarite clans were given out of the tribe of Zebulun, Jokinim with its pasture lands, Karta with its pasture lands, Dimna with its pasture lands, Nahalal with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with its pasture lands, Jahaz with its pasture lands, Kedemoth with its pasture lands, and Mephaoth with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth and Gilead with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Mahanaim uh, with its pasture lands, Heshbon with its pasture lands, Jazer with its pasture lands, four cities in all. And as for the cities of the several Merarite clans, that is, the remainder of the clans of the Levites, those allotted to them were in all twelve cities. The cities of the Levites, in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel, were in all forty-eight cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it, so it was with all these cities. All right, that ends with verse 42. So we, we, we get a list of all of these places divided up as it makes sense between the three descendants of, the, of Levi. Um, but we also see that they are thoroughly spread out amongst all the clans. Um, a very, I guess just... Obviously, it's from God, so it's wise, but when you look back at it, what wisdom there is to have not given the Levites their own land so that they'd be you know, off in the northwest corner or something, but to sprinkle the men responsible for caretaking God's people throughout God's people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I think, a key element. So, so remember, it was Aaron that, um, that fashioned the golden calf um, there at uh, Mount Sinai. And, um, it, you know, when you read that passage, uh, it, uh, it, it makes it sound, Aaron, Aaron says, um, well, I threw gold in a fire and out popped a calf. <laughs> right. I, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly the way it happened, but that's what, <laughs> that's how Aaron explains what happened. And, and so, you know, obviously Aaron did something that he should not have done should have been leading the people to be, remain faithful until Moses came back down off the mountain. Uh, so there was a little bit in w- a sense in which um, Aaron and the tribe of Levi had, uh, you know, some problems there. But, but then you see the tribe of, of Levi after that standing up 
sort of being faithful in many respects. Um, you know, you, you obviously have the the uh, the problem with Levi and his and his sister. Um, I mean, that was sort of a curse uh, that he had he had done something very heinous there. So you can read about that in Genesis. But then you, you get you get Aaron sort of doing his thing. But then you have the Levites sort of coming back and and being faithful and doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they become a blessing to God's people. And so, uh, as a blessing to God's people in many respects, they are scattered throughout the, the the all of the lands to be that blessing in the midst of the people. And uh, what a picture that is for us as as uh, pastors and churches, right? The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is scattered all over the United States, all over, um, you know, and, and we have missionaries that go around the globe. So um, we we are we are scattered to be faithful to God. And, and to serve his people wherever we've been placed. And I think that's, that's sort of the picture of what's going on here. These 48 cities um, are, are just little places where, where God is at work through his, his, his people, the, Le- the tribe of Levi, caring for his whole tribe, right? The tribe of Israel. And, and that's, I think that's a beautiful picture of, of what goes on today and the and the church today, uh, we are we are scattered throughout in order to serve and to care for God's people. Um, may, may we be faithful in doing that, right? It's a beautiful picture of how God cares for His people today. Of course, it also demonstrates God's care for His people back then. And these last couple of verses of the chapter um, really sum that up. So I'm going to read 43 through 45. Thus Yahweh gave to Israel all the land that he had swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And Yahweh gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for Yahweh had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that Yahweh had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And honestly, if Joshua just ended with that, it would be... Good enough, right? That's been a good ending. Isn't that the message? Been a very good ending. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the message of of God's activity on earth? Our God, yeah. keeps His promises. So yeah, whenever so just, you feel well, one, doubtful about the future, He's going to keep His promises. Please go ahead, brother. Absolutely. One thing I forgot is uh, you had Caleb mentioned in uh, there where Caleb gets to keep his property. Caleb was one of the spies, right? I mean, oh, right. We all know that. We you know that from from. Um, the reading um, about the spies going into the land, and, and one of those spies was Caleb. So he got a, a, a portion of the city, the pasture land, and, and he got to keep that. Uh, and then, like I said, you have this last, in, in my, uh, I use uh, Logos Bible software, and uh, it's kind of a cool thing that um, everyone that uses Logos, it, if you underline a passage, it will say, how many people underlined that passage? Well, I have about almost 4,000 people underlined this passage, that verse 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. 4,000 people underlined that. So, I mean, you know, they didn't. Now, I, I would I would suggest that we don't, that having this in the lectionary and reading all those names might not be as beneficial as we, we would think, but certainly... 
having that as a theme, that, that key last verse, God keeps his promises. And certainly in time, God kept his promise by sending his son, right? So uh, we have that, that wonderful picture of down through the ages from Adam and Eve um, to, to, the, to the end of time, God has continued to keep his promises. Um, and we see that here in the book of, of Joshua the Lord keeping his promises to his children. Um, they did inherit uh, the promised land, promised to Abraham, uh, now, now, now delivered through uh, Moses and Joshua. There it is, right? There it is. Um, and God, God was faithful, as he always is. I tell you, that may not be the way that Joshua ends the entire book, or I should say the book of Joshua ends, but it is going to have to be the way we end our program. But that's okay, because we're ending it with the knowledge and the comfort that God is one who keeps his promises. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Keith Lynch, pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Naples, Florida. Thank you, brother, for being on the show again. Happy to be here, and and, uh, God bless y'all, and... and, uh, uh, Anything we can do for you, you just let us know. All right, wonderful. Yeah, and if you're in the Naples area, be sure to check out uh, Grace Lutheran Church. Um, folks, tomorrow we move into chapter 22. Joshua 22 takes us on another remarkable journey, this time to the eastern side of the Jordan River, where the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and that half-tribe of Manasseh, they've settled. And as they prepare to return to their own lands— They erect an altar at the river's edge, but this sparks fears of apostasy among the other tribes in the promised land. And so then, poised for war, a delegation is sent to discern their motives for erecting this. But the explanation reveals no rebellion, no idolatry. The altar stands merely as a witness to the future generations of their unity with the rest of Israel in worshiping the one true God. That's going to be an intriguing chapter. We're going to witness the Israelites' deep concern for the unity of their faith. And of course, it shows their commitment to God's commandments. But all of that and more is tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.